Lord, we ask that you would open your word to us, that we would hear these familiar voices, uh, verses in a new way. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, my family and I drove to California, which with three small children is a very special experience. And on the way, we listened to children's books on tape. And in one of the books, there's a scene where the six-year-old heroine named Junie B. Jones goes to the house of a very wealthy friend of hers. And she's gawking at this opulent house, and the friend starts chanting, See, see, I told you I was rich. See, see, I told you I was rich. Now, out of 20 hours or so of books that we listened to on tape, guess which phrase my kids remembered? (laughs) See, see, I told you I was rich. They chanted it all the way through Oregon. And I kept thinking, you're pastor's kids. This is neither true nor dignified of you to say. (laughs) But it does capture some of our culture's value system. This summer, I'm going to be preaching on some excerpts from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's his commentary on the Ten Commandments. And it starts with what's called the Beatitudes, the blessings, which we just read. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, and so on. And the Beatitudes are Jesus' description of people who are blessed, people who are living the good life. And these verses are so familiar to us, I think we lose some of the shock value that they would have had to Jesus' original audience, because they don't look like what our culture or their culture would call the good life. So let me read some of these verses to you in the SDV version of the Bible. That's the Scott Dudley translation. Much less accurate, but more shocking, maybe. You are so lucky when you're a spiritual zero because you can get into heaven. Man, you are really living the good life when you're mourning because God will comfort you. You are so fortunate if you're shy and getting stepped on. The earth is going to be yours. These are so foreign to us, so upside down, they make almost no sense to us, do they? It reminds me of a scene out of a Monty Python movie. It's a a movie that was sort of a spoof on religious movies. And in this scene, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. But the people in the back can't hear. So when Jesus gets to the phrase, blessed are the peacemakers, the people in the back ask, what did he say? What did he say? And a know-it-all man says, he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. They go, cheesemakers? Why cheesemakers? He doesn't mean it literally. It's, It's a metaphor for the manufacturers of all dairy products. Then they have a little theological argument right now. Normally, I don't get my theology from Monty Python, so you can feel at peace about that. But that little spoof captures, I think, how difficult these verses are for us to understand because they are so different from our culture's values. And because of that, I think the Beatitudes have been misinterpreted over the years as a list of things that we're supposed to go do and be which is kind of depressing, right? Oh, great. Now I have to go be meek and miserable because Jesus likes that. I guess I'll do it on Tuesday, be miserable. And if you happen to feel like you're strong or successful, you can feel left out of this list of people God supposedly prefers. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about, and, and I'll get to that in a minute. I think Jesus is up to something else. Good sermons should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. And the Beatitudes do both. 
They disturb us because they force us to reevaluate what we're striving for. These blessings are very different than our own. In our culture, we say, blessed are the smart, the beautiful, the rich, the popular. We don't think the meek are blessed. People who attend success seminars at the Sheraton, they're blessed, but not the meek. Right? As a friend of mine who works in business says, the meek may inherit the earth, but they'll never increase market share. This is so different from our culture's views. I mean, just look at our commercials. They, they make it seem like the worst possible fate you could ever suffer as a human being is to have thinning hair or be overweight or, God forbid, have bad breath or ring around the collar, right? But Jesus turns those values upside down and redefines what the good life is. And to Jesus, in Jesus' definition, the good life is simply whenever and however we experience God. That's a blessing. And the thing about people who are mourners or the poor in spirit is that these are people whose condition often forces them to go to God and receive his blessing. Last week, you got to hear from Antoine Rudayasire, who leads the ministry that we're partnering with in Rwanda to build the Street Kids Center. And I, I first met Antoine when I was still in California. I had him come and talk to my college students. And in one of our first conversations, he was telling me about all the hardships he faced in Rwanda, Poverty, the genocide, the AIDS crisis. And I said, man, that sounds so hard. I am so lucky to be where I'm at. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I actually feel sorry for you, Scott. And I thought, are you kidding? I mean, I'm living in Silicon Valley. I'm surrounded by comfort and luxury. And he said, almost every day, someone shows up on my doorstep who needs something to eat or a place to stay or protection. And he said, here in America, you would just send them off to a government agency or hand them some money. He said, the only thing I can do is pray. And because of that, I see God do miracles that you will never see. I'm the lucky one. And that's, I think, what Jesus is getting at. What we call blessed is maybe not so blessed. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus is not saying that poverty or mourning are good things. They're not good things. They're awful things. What he is saying, though, is that the highest, blessings in life is to, the highest blessing in life is to experience God and God's power in your life. The Beatitudes disturb us because they force us to reevaluate what it is we're striving for. When I read them, I have to ask myself, am I really going to be blessed if I'm comfortable and successful and get everything I want? Or am I going to be blessed whenever and however I experience God? The Beatitudes disturb us. But the second thing they do is they comfort us because they show us that no matter what condition we're in, we are never beyond God's reach. And that is comforting. You know, the traditional way of reading the Beatitudes is that these are prescriptions, things we're supposed to go out and do and be. You know, I need to be poor in spirit. I, I need to be meek. But as the writer Dallas Willard points out, the Beatitudes may not be prescriptions, but descriptions of the different kinds of people that God blesses. And the context makes this clear, right? Jesus has just finished healing all kinds of people, the, the sick and the poor and the outcasts, and then he climbs up on this mountain, and he looks out at this ragtag group of followers who are poor in spirit and mourning. Jesus looks at these people he's just healed, and he says, you are exhibit A that proves that you are never beyond God's reach. Even here, in your dire circumstances, you have just experienced the kingdom of God as it is coming in me, Jesus Christ, and is made available to everyone through Jesus. You know, many of these Beatitudes are not good things to be. 
It is not a good thing to be poor or mourning or even meek and run all over. In fact, those are things that God, God calls us to work against, to eliminate, not to strive for, and to be bold for him. But what Jesus is saying is that even if you're in those awful situations, God is there, he heals, and he can make his blessings known. Let's take the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That basically means people with no spiritual connection to God at all. Okay, that is not a good thing to be. Nobody's going to go up to someone and say, hey, you look spiritually bankrupt. How about you lead the next prayer meeting, right? It's not a good thing to be. And the traditional way of interpreting this is to find some way that being poor in spirit is a good thing. Otherwise, why would God bless them, right? They must have done something to earn it. So commentators say things like, well, what Jesus means here is people who know that they're poor in spirit. No, not so much. If he had wanted to say that, he could have. He's the son of God. I think he can get said what he once said without some commentator's assistance. He didn't say, blessed are those who know they're poor in spirit. What he said was, blessed are the people who don't have a lick of religion in them. God can bless even them. Even though they didn't deserve it. And even though religious people don't think he ought to. And that would be the point. It is God's character to bless where there is no reason to bless. That's what grace is. Unearned favor. You see, if we say that the Beatitudes are things we're supposed to go do and be in order to get God's approval, well, that just substitutes the good news of Jesus with legalism. And the Beatitudes become just one more list of things we have to do to make God like us. But the good news of Jesus is that because of what he's done on the cross, our sins are forgiven. If he is our leader and our forgiver, then we are made clean in him. God accepts us just as we are, and his Holy Spirit empowers us to become everything God created us to be. Nobody is beyond God's blessing. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says. The unemployed, the divorced, the lonely. A terrible place to be. But their circumstances don't mean that God has abandoned them or that he doesn't love them. And even in those situations, God can bring his blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart, which is a better thing to be. You know, pure in heart, that's a good thing to be. Jesus says they shall, they shall see God. You know, but sometimes the problem with the pure in heart is that they can get just a little bit too pure. You know what I mean? Right? Like the religious leaders in Jesus' day that he was always fighting with, they were very pure, but not very loving. Or like the man in my former church who almost always criticized every sermon I ever gave. My doctrine was never 100% pure. My grammar wasn't good enough for him. And whenever he made a mistake, he, whenever I made a mistake, he was quick to point it out. You know, he was very pure in heart. God bless his soul. <laughs> and God will. And God will. Even he can receive the kingdom of God, despite what I think, right? Through Jesus, the one who is speaking the blessings, the kingdom of God has been made available to everyone. That's the scandal of the gospel. And this is very radical. Because in Jesus' day, as in our own, the only people who were thought to be worthy of God were the religious people or people who had it all put together or the rich. I mean, they must, you know, God must like them. Just look at them. They're rich, right? But Jesus is saying that through him, God can, will, and does bless anyone. Regardless of whether they deserve it or not, regardless of their circumstances. And it's not just for poor and miserable people. You know what? God can bless strong, successful people too. As long as they're following Jesus more than comfort or success. 
In fact, in this passage, you get an ascending ladder. It starts with the most spiritually bankrupt, the poor in spirit, ends with people who are so spiritual, they're getting persecuted with their, for their faith. And both ends get blessed and everything in between. And for us, I think that means three practical things. The first is we need to reevaluate what we think is a blessing. What we think of as blessings maybe aren't the highest blessings we could have. Second, maybe you've done such terrible things in your life you cannot imagine how God could even love you, let alone bless you. Or maybe you're in such dire circumstances right now, a health problem or a marriage problem, you wonder how God can pull anything good out of that. Jesus is saying that through him, God can bless you even if you don't deserve it, even in the midst of hard times. And the third thing I think this means for us is that in spite of what we may think about a certain person out there or some group of people out there who we think are so far from God, they're never going to know him, Jesus is saying nobody, no matter what their moral condition, is beyond God's reach. And if all we have in our church are nice, pretty people whose lives looked all put together, we are not a biblical church. Our churches need to look like the Beatitudes. Because what Jesus is saying is, blessed are you when you feel worthless and filled with guilt. Through Jesus, you can know intimacy with God, even you, even after you've done that awful thing. Blessed is a friend of mine who struggled with alcoholism and two out-of-wedlock pregnancies. But when she heard that Jesus loved her just as she was, not as she should be, she accepted him. And his Holy Spirit and some friends gave her the power she needed to overcome her addictions and live an abundant life. Even she was blessed. Blessed is the family I know whose five-year-old son died of cancer. It was a horrible thing. Nothing good about it. But through the people in their church, they experienced God's love in a tangible way. And in their little boy who wasn't afraid to die but excited to go see Jesus, they got a glimpse of eternity. And in the way they've since been able to comfort other people going through the same thing, even they have received God's blessings in such awful conditions. Blessed is the woman who wrote a letter to a pastor friend of mine complaining about how some of the people coming to the church weren't the, quote, right kind of people. She knew for a fact that they smoked and drank too much and used foul language, and furthermore, they didn't even dress up to go to church. And what kind of a witness was that? And didn't my friend know that those kind of people don't belong in church? Well, God can bless even her. The kingdom of mercy and grace can come even to her through knowing Jesus and his love. Blessed is another friend of mine who used to criticize everybody else's lifestyle as being immoral until her own marriage started to fall apart. And she realized that she was sinful too. And that forced her to go to God and receive his grace, admit her sins to God and then to her husband, and then humbly to put her marriage back together again until it was stronger than it ever was. Even she got blessed. Wherever you are, whoever you are, you are never beyond God's love, God's grace, God's provision. And this is a a miracle in the history of religion. Because before Jesus, if you wanted to be part of God, you had to be born into the right caste or the right social sphere or be a priest or at the very least be very, very good or highly educated or have your dogma and your karma all lined up just right, right. Then you could be blessed. Then God would love you. But Jesus blows on the scene and he says, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. There is a wideness in God's mercy. And the kingdom of heaven is available to everybody in any situation. And the reason that God can do this isn't just because he's a great guy, you know, sort of a Santa Claus in the sky. The reason God can do this is because of Jesus. 
And the Beatitudes point us back to Jesus. If they are prescriptions for how we should live, they show us that we can never measure up. Who could be this gentle, this meek, this peacemaking? We fall woefully short. And we need Jesus who paid the penalty for our shortcomings. And we need the power of his Holy Spirit to become like him. And if the Beatitudes are descriptions, well, then what they say is that we can never be too poor, too sinful, too brokenhearted to be beyond God's blessing. And again, the reason is Jesus, who conquered even death to show us that there are no dead ends with him. No matter how miserable your condition, how vile your sin, or in the words of Paul Simon, no matter how sat upon, spat upon, or ratted on we feel, we are God's grubby people. And we are never beyond his blessing. So here again, these familiar verses, the unheard of, unprecedented, unmitigated, probably unadvisable good news that Jesus announces in the first lines of his most famous sermon. Blessed are the sinful, the arrogant, the alcoholics. Blessed are those who are bald or overweight or have bad breath and feel like nobody likes them. Blessed are the intolerant bigots, the self-righteous religious people, the greedy businessmen. Blessed are the perverted, the prostitutes, the criminal, the rich, the poor, the liberals who think all the wrong things, or the conservatives who think all the wrong things. Depending on your point of view, they're blessed too. Blessed are the mild-mannered Clark Kent's of the world. Blessed are the Olympic gold medal winners. Blessed are those who make it in this world, and blessed are those who don't. There is only one requirement for being blessed, and that is knowing Jesus. And if we do, no matter who we are or what condition we're in, he can, will, and does bless us. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this incredible good news. We can hardly believe it. Lord, help us to reevaluate what we are calling blessings. And then, Lord, follow you so we can receive your true blessings and hang on to you with both hands. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.